Hi, I'm Melanie Walker and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. Indeed, Lee, and it's all sunshine and flowers and happiness, especially when I get to be in the studio with somebody I really, really enjoy. And uh, we're going to be finding out a lot more about her. But what I want to just go on to first, it's this time of year, and that's why we had to start with the sunshine and happiness, because it is fantastic here on the Highfold. Sure, we don't know what to wear, so you have to layer all day every day, stripping off putting it all back on again when you walk into your house. It's nice and hot outside, freezing inside, which means why are we sitting in our house when there's heaters on, which are drying out the air, when we could be outside enjoying the sunshine and boosting our vitamin D. And it's, it's a very interesting thing I've come across recently, and that's why I think gardeners are usually a lot more healthier than others, is that we are all starting, and I'm not saying, well, actually I'm not saying all, but I found out from somebody through a DNA analysis thing that we are all not really getting enough vitamin D, which is like a really weird thing here in South Africa. And there seems to be an upsurge in people not being able to have their bodies create its own vitamin D through sunshine. I don't know what's going on there. So in case you're feeling a little under the weather, first of all, get out into the sunshine. If that doesn't make you feel better, perhaps have a test for your vitamin D. Don't you think that's a great idea? Well, I do. But somebody who is always smiley whenever I see her and is always out and about and having a lot of fun. And of course, you will have seen her in past episodes of Gardening 101. And of course, on the upcoming series, which is starting very, very soon, Debbie Smith from Foxglove's Garden Design. How are you today? Well, and you, Mel? Absolutely brilliant. I mean, I can see you full of the joys of spring. That's because you work outside most of the time. Well, I've got lots of things to be happy about. I've got sunshine and flowers and butterflies and bees in my life. So I've got things to be happy about. Yeah. And a whole bunch of students as well, because that's of course, where I met you first was at um, Lifestyle College because you were one of my lecturers. Yeah, I've got a lot of students to be happy about too. It's always nice to be able to train people and, and bring them into an industry that I'm really very excited about. I always have been very excited mm. about being a gardener and a designer and I think that there's just so much that this industry's got to offer. So it's nice to be able to share it with other people and bring them into the fold, so to speak. Yes, it's just not what we're going to be talking about today, but I found it quite disturbing in some ways that even over in England, they've been saying that the amount of people who are signing on to do horticulture or garden design has lessened so much in the last 10 years, it's actually crazy. They're actually having to go out and poach people who are horticulturalists to come and work for them because there just aren't people going into it anymore. Have you found the same swing here in South Africa? You know, I think that there is a bit of a downer trend and I, it's a sad thing. I think what what concerns me is I think people are losing touch with their roots. You know, <laughs> not we to put too fine a point on it. No, yeah. not to put, exactly. <laughs> we live in a, a kind of very artificial environment these days and I think people are forgetting the importance mm. of being in touch with nature and the outdoors and, and being involved. Obviously also in terms of the, the economics cycle that we're in at the moment. Gardening is, I suppose, considered to be an expensive hobby. But the flip side of that is it's a very physical, healthy, creative hobby to get involved. It takes you outdoors, keeps you out in touch with nature, mm. literally, quite literally, physically plugged into the ground. And there's new evidence that's that's come out recently where, especially in the UK, people are starting to prescribe gardening as a form of therapy in terms of antidepressant treatment 
and just physical exercise and activity. And, you know, there's, I don't know, you've probably experienced, there's nothing like spending an afternoon just weeding a patch even. I love it. It kind of like <laughs> settles you down and makes you feel like you've had fresh air and wholesome exercise. Mm. I would like to encourage people to try and go back that route and and be involved again. Yeah, I find it. I find it very strange because you, you'd think that you know the way that people put out all of these messages on social media about, oh, it's so nice to be outside, and they just have no idea. I'd say possibly the millennials more than any other generation are that way inclined. I think the Gen Zs or I Gen or whatever they're calling them now are maybe getting a little bit more back into touch. So hopefully we'll see a lot more of them coming through. But I mean. I'm saying to my kids, food production is the way of the future. That is where you're going to make money. So I'm, I'm always trying to push them, go and study something to do with plants. It'll stand <laughs> you in good stead in the future. It doesn't have to just be about garden design, but go and learn about plants. Do horticulture. Well, I think there's that validity in that for sure. And I think that just looking at the way things are going, people are becoming more conscious in terms of becoming organic and environmentally friendly, sustainability, mm. not overproducing in terms of greenhouse emissions and things like that. So being able to grow a vegetable garden at home or a crop at home is going to improve our biodiversity. Not only that, we're making sure that we're using organic products that we know where they've been sourced from, which for me is very, very important. Mm. I think a lot of these big mass production facilities these days use chemicals and hormones and things that we are oblivious to as consumers. And if you can have control of it in your own back garden, I think so much the better. You can only be healthier and happier for it. Yeah. You've got to garden it physically. You've got to earn it, which I also think helps us to appreciate the value of what we've got. I think when you can go into a supermarket and just pick up your carrots or your beetroots or whatever it is, you've got no appreciation for what went into the production of that product to start off with. That's like Whereas, that meme that's going around about we don't need to have farmers to have our food. One of the <laughs> one of the councillors, <laughs> we get our food from ShopRite exactly. or Checkers. Exactly. And <laughs> like, like, but really? where does ShopRite get it from? And I think that's, <laughs> it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about people losing touch with their roots, mm. quite literally. Mm. We don't have a sense of where we belong in the chain or in the cycle of events. And we actually are just part of a cycle. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have lost maybe a little bit of touch with that. Yeah. Well, I'm still going to push my kids to do it, I must say. But it's also, I mean, the amount of questions I get from people going like, you know, what can I do to do this? And I'm like, well, you can't use this and you can't use that in that particular area because you're growing edibles. Oh, why can't I do that? I said, because then you'll be poisoning yourself. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they, they, oh, okay. So it takes a while for people to understand that. And the crux of our message today is all about pests and diseases and how to get rid of them. And... I mean, especially when it comes to edibles. So we'll, we can talk about it from two different points of view. We can talk about it. I know you don't do the chemical side at all. No, I don't believe don't in do chemicals. Don't do chemical fertilizers, nothing chemical at all. Yeah. So we can talk about the non-chemical way of doing things, especially when it comes to edibles. But then also, I mean, there are certain things that, I mean, I will suggest to people only in one occasion, <laughs> to use a specific thing. Actually, not in two occasions because of the whole threat of shot hole borer. I was going to say mm -hmm. a pothole borer. pothole borer. We've got many of those on the road as well, haven't we? <laughs> Just a few. Yeah. So when it comes to organic pest control, okay, how, how does that work? Well, you see, when you start looking at organic pest control, what we need to understand is that the reason that we do organic pest control is because we're looking at trying to conserve our environment. Mm. The fact of the matter is that many people are inclined to go and buy an art 
go out and buy the biggest, heaviest machine gun that they can find to deal with a relatively innocuous pest or disease in the garden. And unfortunately, when we start bringing in these big chemicals and these big nukes, if you want to call them that, we upset the balance in nature. Mm. Now, nature is all about processes. It's all about um, survival of the fittest. And it's all about creatures and plants and us being able to live in harmony with one another. So the crux of organic gardening is all about rather practicing natural organic cultural practices or organic practices which focus more on repelling rather than on killing. Mm. Because the thing is, we're so focused on killing, for argument's sake, the caterpillar that's busy eating something that we forget that ultimately the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Mm. So whilst the caterpillar in its its larval phase is very, very destructive and might do a certain amount of damage to the garden. The butterfly on the flip side is very much one of those beneficial creatures that we want to have in the garden. We use butterflies for pollination, not to mention just the sheer beauty mm. to attract insectivorous birds, etc., etc. So they all fit into a cycle. And if you just wipe out the caterpillars, then you're never going to get a butterfly. So when you think about one of the reasons that you started gardening or for me certainly when I garden is that I want nature right back in my garden I want to be involved with the quite literally with the birds and the bees and so in order to have the birds and the bees in my garden I need to make sure that my garden is a suitable environment for all and sundry to live in so that's essentially the crux of organic gardening in the sense that we use natural organic products herbicides, pesticides, fungicides, fertilizers, and we focus more on repelling rather than on killing. Mm. So that's kind of where it is for me. Are there some bugs, though, that you definitely will have to use something to get rid of them? Yeah, they definitely are. I mean, if one of the ones that comes to mind, and I know it's your favorite little bugbear, <laughs> is the lily borer caterpillar that yes. kind of, I'm just listening to you growl. <laughs> it's tremendously destructive. And mm. of course, when you're trying to grow clivias or some of these beautiful fancy agapanthus these days, it can be quite soul destroying. But one of the things that I found, I still don't believe in using the chemical. I know that some people will go out and buy the chemical for that. But for me, part of organic gardening is about being vigilant. You've got to be constantly in touch with your garden. You've got to be aware of what's going on with your garden, not in the middle of the season, from the beginning of the season right the way through the season. Mm. So, for example, Lily Bora starts making its offensive face shown probably around about late September is when we start seeing the first signs of it. Immediately. When you see your amaryllis coming out, then you know that you, yeah. you've got to keep an eye on them all the time. Watch your amaryllis, watch your clivias, watch your agapanthus, and you'll know. But the thing is, if you're watching in late September, you'll often find it when it's in its very early stages. Mm. And then it's just a matter of picking it off. And squishing and it. Get, squishing it or getting rid of it, throwing it in the bin if you don't want to squish it. I don't like killing things at all. I try very hard not to kill anything. That's just me. I know a certain personality who, who's quite happy to make a witch's brew of the lily borers because she gets so upset with them. She boils them in water and then uses them to... Um, that must be quite to, uh, cathartic. ...to respray her clivias, <laughs> and I always think the poor creatures. But the fact of the matter is, if you are on top of it in the early stages, mm. it's easier to control. I think what a lot of us do, and it's an easy trap to fall into... You get too busy in your day-to-day -day life and then you only inspect the clivias or the amaryllis at the end of October. And by then the thing is already eaten, yeah. infiltrated and it's in and it's eating. So um, 
part of organic gardening, I think, is vigilance. It's been get staying, up close and, co- up yeah, close get up and personal, close and with personal have a look at what's going on, sort it out immediately there and then, and then it doesn't get a chance to develop into anything yeah. bigger. It takes a little bit more work and effort, but for me, part of the charm is the fact that I can come home at the end of the day and spend, it doesn't have to be four hours, 15, 20 minutes just having a quick walk through my veggie garden or around my garden observing. And if you're in daily contact and in daily touch, it's easy to kind of stay aware of what's going on. It's yeah. when you have a, a break and then you think, now, where did I think that I saw that the last time? And you kind of, you're playing catch up. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I'm just sitting here and thinking that if you know where the trouble spots are, if you have specific plants that you know may be a lure for very destructive insects, so those are the ones you just go and check. A lot of the stuff you don't have to check. No, you know they're going to the be thing. fine. And a big part of organic gardening is about concentrating on maintaining really good, healthy soil and growing conditions for your mm. plants. You know, plants that are in a diseased or a just distressed state send off pheromones that actually attract attackers. Whereas if you've got a garden that's well watered, that's well fertilized, that's well prepared, those plants are generally healthy enough and strong enough to kind of stand on their own two feet and fend off the odd attack. Mm. Look, and it's it's a natural thing. You know, there are certain pests and diseases that will be in the garden. I mean, I want to paint you a picture, which is, I suppose, a little bit of a dark picture in that, for example, when we've got roses, we prune our roses and then we sit and we wait for them and come October, the first little buds come out. And one day you go out and you look and the whole tip of the bud is just completely covered in aphids. Mm. And of course, then we all have a heart attack because now the aphids are eating the rose and you go and you buy the big gun and you spray the aphids. And for sure, you've killed the aphids. But while you were busy spraying the aphids, what you didn't realize was you also sprayed ladybird who was eating the aphids yeah. and a praying mantis who was eating the aphids. And in effect, what you've done is you've now taken away a food source for one or two of the birds that are going to want to come and prey on the ladybird and the praying mantis. And if you carry on with this destructive chemical cycle, you ultimately end up in a bit of a barren wasteland. And that's really the tip of the iceberg because that chemical then permeates into the soil it kills off earthworms, it goes down into the groundwater, starts poisoning groundwater systems. And so it becomes a whole big knock-on effect. Whereas if you'd noticed the aphids and realized that they're such small, tiny, insubstantial creatures, mm. you can literally hose them off the rose, let them fall on the ground, and the ladybird and the praying mantis will we'll carry on doing their job. So we're saying just squirt the aphids. Okay, we, just, we, we, just think of easy ways to actually deal with various bugs and pests in the garden. A lot of them actually aren't pests. And I think worms are the ones that people always come to us with. Caterpillars, those little white ones that lay in a little kind of semicircle. Oh, and that's actually not a caterpillar. That's a little grub. It's a beetle larvae. Mm-hmm. And typically when you go digging in your flower bed, you find this kind of fat. It's almost like the thickness of your thumb kind of thing. And it's curled in a semicircle yes. and it's... It looks very lazy and lethargic. Yes. And what that actually is, the is the, the rose beetle. Um, oh, is that what it that's is? It's the larvae from the rose beetle. Okay. So, you know, when you get the rose beetles coming out at Christmas time and they want to just turn your rose leaves into lace. I think it looks you, quite pretty, actually. I don't mind them. And, you know, it's a relatively short season. Mm. They do what they have to do and then they move on. And then but, and you can catch them and tie a hair to their leg and let them fly in circles. Oh, shame, no. Did you never do that as We're a child? creatures. We all did it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but, you know, I love yes. them. I would never. And, they, and they, you hold one and it tries to and burrow out your fingers. Out, yeah, I love those things. 
things. But those little white grubs are their larvae. Okay. If you really want to get rid of them, easiest thing to do is when you find a grub, just get rid of it. No, well, those and ones I wouldn't want to. I only squish lily borders on no, purpose. No, well, you wouldn't have to squish them. You could just throw them away in the rubbish no, if you no. really wanted to. Uh, you know, as I say, I really do believe, though, that when we look at the, the natural order of things, there's a place for everything. Yeah. Everything becomes food at some point or feeds something feeds off of something at some yeah. point and we need to be conscious of those cycles i was reading an article the other day that said that we are in the middle of the sixth mass extension and insect species are dying very very rapidly really and that's a problem because insects are at the bottom of just about every food chain they are cesses mm. in life i mean there are pollinators if we don't have bees we don't have food so I think that we need to start becoming not just in this country, I think globally we need to be more conscious of what we're doing and we can't just kill because we think that we're at the top of the food chain. Well, France has become very forward thinking in that, being the first country in the world to actually ban all the pesticides that take out bees. I think that's absolutely phenomenal. I yeah. wish that more people would follow suit with that because it starts off there, you know, and it's an education thing. We need to be educating ourselves and our children because they're mm. the next generation what are we leaving for them that's what we need to ask ourselves i think mm. sometimes we we live these kind of insular lives when we focus inwardly on on what's good for us but we're not really thinking about what's good for the greater situation absolutely but i mean we i class myself as gen x okay um, i know that millennials blame the boomers for everything we don't want gen z blaming gen x for no. not actually taking what has gone wrong in the world and fixing it for them because that's what we should be doing well this is what we should be. and the thing is i think that if we all made a collective effort if we all consciously focused on it it's not too late mm. but we need to be a little bit more wide awake about what we're doing and a little bit less selfish because the reality is if we go back to that rose story that we were talking about, how many people here are growing perfect prize roses for this year's Chelsea competition? Mm. Most of us are growing them for our own pleasure. Absolutely. And part of the pleasure of that is the bird and the song that comes in the garden. Mm. And you can't have one without the other. So for me, I think if there's anything that I can say in terms of that, it's be as organic as you can, be as natural as you can. Absolutely. Gardens are meant to be natural places. But, but there is one other place at the moment where, one other situation, shall I say, where I would be inclined to say to people, okay, fine, use something like this. And that would be, as I said, shot hole borer. And people are all freaking out. I mean, you're saying that, you know, things dying, okay, these trees that are being hit by it, that's it for them. Because everybody's saying, how can we treat it? I said, once you can see that that tree is diseased, there's nothing you can actually do at this stage in this country at all. And that's the very And everybody's saying, well, thing. why? I mean, if, you know, they've been doing research into it for such a long time. I'm like, because they haven't found a cure. So people just don't get this. So, I mean, the education, as you said, education, education. But also, this is about the only other time I would say to people, if you have a tree which is on the list of trees that are very tasty to these horrible little borers, then I would say, as you said, make it as healthy as possible. Then I would also suggest, if they can, use a systemic insecticide and fungicide mm -hmm. while the tree is healthy so it can suck it up and protect itself. Because basically it's not the beetle that kills the tree. I mean, It's but the fungus. It's the fungus that it brings in with it. And, I think and by the time the fungus has got in there, you can't spray for it. No, well, it's okay. too late. And that's it won't, the problem. Then the tree can't suck it up because its vascular system is absolutely shot. Okay, so they can't bring the fungicide up then. So, I mean, if I'm looking at, say, I've got a, a bush willow, okay, mm -hmm. or I've got a Acer 
that hasn't been hammered yet. The trees that are like likely to get hit by it in an area, go and fix that tree beforehand. Well, if you can, you can't always treat preemptively, unfortunately, for something like fungus. But having said that, I think that it's incumbent on all of us to become aware of the species that are particularly prone. If you've got those species in your garden, make sure that you are inspecting regularly and get help if you need it. Mm. But the other thing is it goes back once again to responsibility. If you have a tree that's infested, don't just chop it down and leave it for the local parks department to go and dispose of well, because what are they doing anyway. they've got nowhere to put it yeah, there are to, protocols in place yeah. in terms of being able to sort it don't be moving wood and wooden products and tree products and things like that from one province to another at the moment because well, I that's a one of the go things at somebody because they went and they bought some Wood, a firewood, firewood out in yeah. at Harte Beersport and, and then brought it back it to Joburg. And I looked at it and you could see that this has actually had shot hole borer in and it. And this is the thing. We are, we are our own worst enemy in terms of just not taking practical precautions. Yeah. And it is a terrifying thing. Who wants to lose the forest? I mean, Joburg is a world-renowned forest. Mm. And so we need to be working on it, I think, collectively as a group, but also taking into consideration that we can put measures and protocols in place. And the sad thing is, unfortunately, I don't think that there's enough general knowledge about it. I don't think our parks departments are really well enough equipped to cope with it. I don't think that they really know. And it's left a large part of the private sector also in a bit of a panic. But at least the private sector, the people are actually getting involved and they are saying, right, you guys can't do anything about it. We will. Yeah. And I'm loving the fact that there is this whole alliance like JUFA yes. coming together and saying, right, okay, fine, we, we will take over because it, it behooves us. We can't just sit there and say, well, I'm sorry, you're the people who are supposed to deal with this. Well, that's the problem. And people are saying, I've got a tree on my verge which is infected. What shall I do? I said, well, go and plant another tree, but not the same one as yeah. the one that's there. <laughs> we all need sad. to actually just start planting trees. And we just trees. need to be more proactive yeah. about it and, and start understanding. And the sad thing is it's not just attacking exotic species. I know. It's actually attacking a lot of our indigenous oh, species. All our wonderful coral and trees. As I say, that's the thing. We need to try and raise awareness for it. Mm. We need to be collectively aware. And if you don't know what to do, then contact a Jufa or somebody like that and get some help. Yeah. Get them to come and give you some advice. Oh, get hold of me and I'll put them in the right direction, of course. But, you know, I mean, this time of the year, obviously there's not going to be that much in the way of borer activity because it, we're going into winter. So, of course, people won't notice that the tree may have a little borer hanging out yeah. and it'll only become apparent again in spring when the weather warms up. What bugs are we looking out for in the garden at the moment? I've been seeing quite a lot of mealybug around. Mealybug is, is often around at this time of year. Look, autumn, early winter is actually quite a special time in the garden, I suppose, because a lot of the, the pest and disease prevalence starts reducing. Things mm. start slowing down. Creatures start going into hibernation or laying eggs for the next cycle, etc. So there's not always that much that you can do. In fact, I often am more relaxed at this time of year than any other time of the year mm. in terms of the, the pest and disease control. But things like mealybugs, um, if you've got pot plants, you'll probably be still be dealing with woolly aphids. If you've got citrus, you're probably dealing with the citrus, woolly aphid, and the sooty mold that comes in. Those yeah. are the things that we can start or we can still be concentrating on at this time of year. And those and, you can, I mean, do you ever resort to spraying your lemon tree with a dishwashing liquid with some garlic in it? Well, you can, you, you can do your dishwashing liquid with garlic. One of my favorite products to use for the lemon tree particularly is something called oleum, mm. which is a mineral oil. But you get many organic sprays, especially through the bioneem range, the neem range, 
which are all mineral oil based, that work just as well. And once again, it, it concentrates on, on coating the insect with an oil and basically smothering it off rather than putting any kind of poison into the atmosphere or into the plant. Mm. Also bear in mind with things like your, your citrus, you don't want to be using a chemical because if it gets absorbed into the plant, it's going to be absorbed into you when you eat Absolutely. the lemon. Absolutely. You know, and I think people are a little bit short-sighted about this kind of thing. So a garlic spray would work well. Sunlight liquid works well. Um, Rancid um, chili oil. You can do all kinds of things like you <laughs> when know you, you leave can it use too long those. in the larder. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be the, the the route that I would go. A little bit of methylated spirits, half meths, half water, mm. and then you just dip a, a cloth in it and and wipe it off. It's messy, but it's it's doable. And one of the things that I do, especially with things like Australian bug, um, which are prevalent at the moment. They're easy enough just to prune out. You find that they're quite slow-moving creatures. They don't generally infect the whole plant all at once. They'll infect one branch. Yes. And if you notice that that branch is looking particularly bad, prune it out. Get rid of them that way, and then you don't actually have to worry about going and spending time and money on chemicals Absolutely. and all kinds of things. Just wear gloves. Because <laughs> if you squish one yes, by mistake, it goes orange, squish, yeah, yes. it stays on your fingers. Yes. But I mean, also with the, the diseases point of view, I mean, it's it's also slowing down. So your black spot and all of that kind of stuff that you'd usually find on roses, because we're not pruning yet. We only prune late July, early yeah. August. Mid to late July is, is pruning time. Yeah. So at this time of year, you'll often find those, especially on plants that are prone to your diseases like your roses, which will get mildew and, mm. and black spots, you'll often find residual bits and bobs of the, the fungi and the bacteria that have infected them. Just prune it out. I generally just pull those leaves off, prune it out a little bit, take it out, rather than worry about spraying at this time of year. Something that I do like to do, which I think is generally considered to be quite old-fashioned but still works for me, is when I do my prune in July – I like to spray still with, with lime sulfur. Mm. So it smells gross. It's like rotten eggs. And if you get it on you or your clothes, you stink for days right, afterwards. So you, so you need a, a space um, capsule outfit yes, to be able to really, do really that. Yes, you really, really okay. do. But the beauty of lime sulfur is that it will kill off any residual fungal spores or eggs that might be wintering yeah. on your existing roses. Now, remember, lime sulfur is not something that you can use on in, uh, evergreen plants. You can only use it on deciduous plants when they're in their dormant phase. Yeah. The minute they come into bud, if you start playing, spraying lime, lime sulfur on them, you'll find that the buds will be burned. But it's a nice way of starting. You spray the plant, get rid of anything that's, that might be residual from the last season, and you know that you're starting your new season with a clean slate. Absolutely. I mean, we could sit here and, and talk all day about this. I mean, there's so much that you can cover but unfortunately, we're not going to be able to do that. And I think we've covered a lot of the, the biggest bugbears and things we should be looking out for at this time of the year, which isn't really all that much. But just get out in the garden and have a look and yeah. make sure. So if anybody has any questions that I can't answer, and you've got a website. Um, they can contact Facebook. me on my Facebook page. Facebook page. And that's yes. what under? Uh, Foxgloves. Foxgloves Landscape Design, yeah. Okay, and that's Debbie. Okay, yeah. at Foxgloves. So don't don't – Hesitate. I mean, she's very, very useful and very, very friendly. Thanks, Mel. Okay. <laughs> and of course, as I said, you'll be able to see her in upcoming episodes of Gardening 101, which will be going out on the home channel very, very soon, actually, which is really great. But Debbie, thank you again for lending your expertise and your time. 
Thank it's you very much for inviting always me. Always wonderful to have such an, a fantastic expert to come and, and join us. And uh, I'll be back again with more interesting and fantastic stuff from the world of gardening and in environment. So go out there and be kind to the environment. Be kind to yourself. And above all, stay grounded. Bye-bye. For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded.